1: Welcome to Vancouver Consumer. I'm Sterling Fox. In just a few moments, Sherry McMillan will return to our show to talk about estate planning and the importance of a will in any life plan. Today is the last day of BC Make-A-Will Week in which we're all encouraged to either create or update a will in our lives. Sherry, will have some advice for you coming right up. In our second hour, John Carlson returns with lots more on Vancouver real estate and the 1% realty story. But first... Here are some of the top consumer stories we're following this week. Nearly 200 million people who had sensitive information stolen from their Yahoo accounts will receive two years of free credit monitoring services and other potential restitution in a legal settlement valued at $117 million. The deal revises an earlier agreement struck last fall, which was rejected by a higher court in California. The value of that settlement had been paid at $50 million, but the judge questioned the calculations. A more detailed breakdown in the revised settlement drove up the estimated cost. The money will be paid by Yahoo's current owner, Verizon, and Altaba, which is a holdover from Yahoo's past that still owns a stake in the Chinese internet company, Alibaba, worth billions of dollars. If approved, this settlement will become part of the financial fallout from digital burglaries that stole personal information from about 3 billion Yahoo accounts a few years ago in 2013 and 14 still believed to be the biggest data breach ever. According to a new report, the B.C. raspberry industry is having a tough time. Growers say the high costs of labor, land, and supplies have made it difficult for local farmers to compete with cheaper raspberry imports from countries like Mexico, Chile, and Serbia. The chair of the Raspberry Industry Development Council says many local farmers are turning to other crops like blueberries instead, declaring the B.C. industry is in significant decline. Why? After all, isn't Abbotsford the raspberry capital? of Canada? Well, yes, says the Raspberry Council, but we could lose that identity and that could be costly, especially when it comes to food safety. BC consumers know our raspberries are rigorously tested and safety audited, unlike the competition from abroad. This year, farmers are not only facing challenges from the global market, but the cold snap in mid-February has damaged raspberry crops. In the meantime, the industry is working on establishing new raspberry varieties that'll be more resilient. And our local BC growers are urging us BC consumers to buy local if we want to see our industry survive. Lots more too at bcraspberries.com. Here's a welcome story we're proud to have been a small part of. The member, a number rather, of British Columbians who signed up online to become organ donors following the first ever Green Shirt Day has risen even further. Almost 3,300 people have registered online to become donors just since last Sunday, the official Green Shirt Day. By comparison, BC Transplant usually sees about 50 online registrations a day. And they hope this momentum continues and more people continue to sign up in the days ahead. Now let's do the math here. 350 in a typical week versus 3,300 last week. I'd say we're heading in the right direction. Call it the Logan Boulay effect. And all of us here at CK. ANW say a hearty thanks. The huge annual Vancouver Sunrun is tomorrow. TransLink is ready, so they say. On SkyTrain, Expo and Millennium lines will start running a half hour earlier. Uh, service will be running more frequently until 2. Canada line trains start at 4.48, the usual Sunday time. More frequent service, though. The annual Sunrun West Coast Express train leaves mission at 7 and arrives at waterfront at 8. From the North Shore, sea bus service will start an hour earlier. Earlier with the first vessel leaving Lonsdale Quay at about 7 sailings every 15 minutes. Oh, and expect bus and traffic rerouting and delays for the first half of your Sunday morning because of the Vancouver Sun Run. Lots more consumer stories and Sherry McMillan next on vancouver consumer and welcome back to vancouver consumer this saturday afternoon i'm sterling fox and it's a pleasure to welcome back to the program sherry mcmillan the ceo of mcmillan estate planning sherry welcome to the program good to talk to you again
0: Yes, thank you very much, Sterling.
1: It's lovely to have you with us, and you've made, uh, you're based in Calgary, and you work an, with a client base that's literally all over the world, offices in London, in the United States, here in Canada, Calgary is home base, but you uh, have made quite a few trips to the West Coast recently to conduct these seminars, and we'll tell our listeners in a few minutes about the next opportunity to have a few hours with Sherry McMillan, but you've done enough of them now here in Vancouver that you're getting to know Vancouver people, and What's uh, sort of our priorities are. So after you make your presentation at the Macmillan Estate Planning Seminar, Sherry, and you say, okay, that's my part, how about yours? Any questions? What do Vancouver people want to know after they've heard your pitch?
0: Well, it's an excellent question, and I find it really interesting because of the privilege I have of working all over the world. So whether I'm working in London or Hong Kong or Vancouver, what ends up happening is we have some commonalities as families when we create wealth, and we have some concerns. And so I'm finding Vancouver is not different in that regard. And one of the most pressing concerns of families when they're designing and creating an estate, of course, Sterling, is they don't want to give away or pay too much income tax. On their estate here, when they here. transfer it,
1: <laughs> and, and none of us do, Sherry. But the more the more money you have to protect, obviously, the more keenly aware you're going to be of of your tax situation.
0: Well, that's right. I mean, it's one thing to to owe five thousand, but if you owe five million, you do look at it a little differently. Different
1: ball game, you betcha.
0: Yeah. So, you know. It's a very challenging industry today because what's happened is our families have become international as well. So it's really common, of course, that families do well in business and then they buy their property down south and winter away. And so they have multiple estates as well. And then they have the concern of how is each particular pool of assets going to be taxed in every jurisdiction? Of course. And we know how reliable and stable our governments are. And how nothing ever changes there. Oh, no. So, what ends up happening, of course, is it's hard to keep up for the average person of how will these particular changes impact me and my affairs that I've designed. And, you know, we always say in our industry, Sterling, that we're actually only ever about three years old. because. By the time we learn the new legislation, they're bringing out new legislation again. Of course. So we're always immature. That's the fun part.
1: I was going to ask you, again, just a a kind of a curiosity question, because there are on the planet legendary locations, Sherry, known as tax havens or tax shelters. One thinks of the Cayman Islands, for example. Do people really Uh, take their money into offshore locations like that. Is that a practical thing to do uh, if if you have uh, sufficient funds that you can move them around the world? Do people go for tax havens like that?
0: Well, they do, but they have to legitimately qualify as the problem. Uh So the challenge is this. If we're a Canadian family and our children were reared here, the likelihood is you're going to land here eventually because the grandchildren are here. Yep. And so grandma and grandpa traditionally want to live near or somewhat near the grandchildren. And then there's the other worry as as we're aging, because we're living so long, what about our health care? So there's these two poles that keep us grounded in a particular jurisdiction where we've built our history.
1: Sure. So and, I'm sorry, and, and with respect to health care, uh, you and I have had this conversation on this program before, and I think we need to take a second and remind our CKNW listeners, Sherry, that the health care rules seem a little more simple on the surface of things than they do. Most Canadians think, for example, that if you're here in the Great White North for 181 days of the year, you're covered for health care and nothing is at risk. And it's just not that simple, is it?
0: No, it, it isn't that simple because you have to actually read the legislation in the province you live because each uh, jurisdiction has their own health care system. So BC has their own, Alberta has their own. What can actually happen often is depending on where your longest residency is, is actually where your health care is. Mm-hmm. So if you're spending too much time in the United States, for example, you might by accident before going, your health care in the province you live without really an understanding that you're doing that. So the great part is there are solutions though, Sterling. So, you know, I, I really am... It, encouraged in canada that we actually have legitimate tax savings and tax shelterings that we can do in canada we don't have to go offshore right it's just people don't know of these options in trust law
1: and it's not up to the government to educate us either is that the government likes taking as much of our money as we, that we will give them so it's up to us to know the limitations that we can set rather than having ottawa do it for us
0: Well, that's right. I mean, I've never seen Canada Revenue Agency put together a presentation on how to minimize the tax. (laughs) (laughs) They're not our direct competition, that's for sure. That's for sure, yeah. So, um, you know, one of the blessings we have is we have a great number of tax savings and tax minimizations that we can use in Canada. The first one I always share, and it's great in BC because it's your primary home. Mm -hmm. And your primary home is completely tax-free for both lifetimes of the spouse's. And so even if you go into seniors care, for example, in your later years, that house continues to grow tax exempt. And so your children will never pay tax on that home. So I encourage my families not to downsize in retirement, but upsize. Because, you know, we're going to have an asset base that's growing tax exempt. And then, God forbid, knock on wood, but if you did get sick, you have a very sizable asset to use for elder care. Sure. Tax free. So, you know, it's a good mechanism Uh, to give contemplation to. So I'm the one out there helping and supporting the realtors in the economy.
1: (laughs) Well, it's really interesting that you would raise this, Sherry, because, of course, the other issue that comes along with preserving the family's wealth and and the home, the, the, uh, the mom and dad, the original household, is definitely part of that. But with multiple heirs involved, how do you secure that house to remain in the family going forward and the peace around the Christmas dinner table?
0: Well, it's an excellent question, and if we're a real family, that's a challenge, because we have real dynamics, and all of us are unique, and then on top of it, we bring in in in-laws into the family, the spouses of everyone, and of course, they never have any opinions that would disagree with our family. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, you're looking at a number of variables that are going to impact the estate as a whole, so there are some fantastic options that we have as families, and Really, we have not yet utilized them fully in Canada, as of yet, and those options are estate planning and trust planning, and we've used them a long, long time in the old world, in England and uh, Europe, but we haven't replicated that work in Canada. However, in the United States, they have, and I was down there recently, and this is just a case study that I think demonstrates the power of how estate planning can impact a family positively, and i was not shopping but i was shopping at macy's and i ordered something with this young girl and she was going to ship it so i gave her my business card and she was very young probably 20 and she said oh my family has an estate plan and a trust for us oh and she knew about it and i thought well that's quite remarkable yes. being that she's only 20 years old um and so i started you know chatting with her a little bit and The reason for that, Sterling, is it's very interesting because in the old world, in order to keep assets in your family line, in the bloodline, Mm -hmm. and not lose it to divorce and things of this nature, what they used to do is privatize the estate through trust planning and so that the wealth will remain generationally in the family. Now, of course, the United States follows suit a little more quickly into the European ways. And so they've been doing it for about 250 years. Oh, my. Okay. So you can see these young people down there already have an awareness. They understand what it is and why it's been put in place. Here in Canada, we're sort of new at it. And so we need this education to see how powerful we can be in preserving our assets for only our family. Then that's the point. Only the family.
1: Absolutely. Just as, again, as an aside question, Sherry, why the reluctance in Canada? Why are we slow, so slow to catch up with everybody else in this game?
0: Well, I think ultimately, two things. I think we're very harmonious by nature. We're not as lastigious as the United States. That's so, true. That's we true. Don't, we don't think of suing each other. It is not our natural form. But I think even more importantly than that is we just have not had yet the wealth that the United States and Europe has had. But it is here now. And I would say in the last 50 years, we've caught up. There's okay. many, many millionaires, billionaires in Canada. hmm And so all of a sudden we have the need for these tools. And so my general rule of thumb for families is that if you've grown your estate beyond a million or more, you've actually outgrown traditional will planning and you need estate planning and trust planning to ensure that you're mitigating tax and privatizing and protecting that estate appropriately. And, of course, if we do that, then that's where you made mention, Sterling, we can start to protect the harmony in the family where there will be obstacles because we know there will be.
1: Well, and again, part of that uh, potential disharmony, Sherry, is lack of education. So the more everyone around the table is brought up to speed on what the game plan is, the more likely they are to buy in, don't you think?
0: Well, I actually encourage our parents to... Have a whole family meeting on these topics. And, you know, I always remain that the parent group needs to have the authority over the plan because it's their estate to determine what to do. Right. But once they have a general idea of what they'd like to do, then what we'll often do is a concept meeting with the family and say, look, this is how we're building it and why we're building it. And if you have any comments, we may consider them as part of the design. So, you know, let us know and share. And it's interesting when we open that dialogue and that kind of conversation, because my observation over the last 20 some years is that it's the sentimental things that pop up in conversation. So, you know, things like our cottages are really, really important to family.
1: Mm -hmm, You're right.
0: We built, you know, memories there and we are attached to them. Family business, of course, if the children have continued and are working in the business, they have a strong opinion about that. And family farm. And then it may sound bizarre, but some of the personal effects can impact an estate dramatically, like a car that dad rebuilt Mm -hmm. or your university ring even. And so when we understand where people have emotion, and that's the trick is where they have emotion and where they w- might have a trigger that's where we actually do need to spend time communicating and figuring out how we'll solve those issues while mom and dad still have authority because you don't want to transfer the authority to your children and then guess what they're going to have to fight it out right and that's the worst design in my opinion possible but it's a common you know, thought, I'll just write a will. My son can take care of everybody and he can decide. Right. Well, that puts your son in the worst position possible because he's going to be the bad guy no matter what he does. Right. And so you're just setting up a family dynamic of discord. So my encouragement is let's find out where your issues are And find a way to solve them. Whilst we're all here happy, healthy, and have the ability to be co-creative and find good solutions.
1: Interesting. Now, the moms and dads, the responsibility, you place squarely on their shoulders to at least get the, 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 the unit, the family group, to the point where everyone at least has a clear understanding of what they're trying to accomplish. And then, of course, as you already point out, in any family it's pretty much a given, there will be some discord, there will be some discussion, to put it politely, around the whole notion of the the game plan, the will, the trust plan, the estate, and all of that kind of thing. But mom and dad do have a degree of responsibility that if they're going to make this work, that they've really got to push it through without being obnoxious about it, right?
0: Well, there's some gentleness that comes along with this and some um, sensitivity because one of the things that I've learned over the years is when mom and dad are gracious enough to do this planning for their family, it's truly a gift for them. Oh, yeah. However, when we approach the children, the last thing your children want to give contemplation to is your passing. I mean, that's not a topic as a child, you want to focus on, nor go spend a couple hours on, of course. So there's an awkwardness in society about it in general, and there's also denial. Children will say, well, I don't really care, do what you want, I don't want to know. Yes. And so don't be surprised of those reactions they're normal
1: Uh, okay sherry let me uh, take a quick break here because we have to pause for the bottom of the the hour news in just a few seconds and i need those important few seconds to remind our listeners about the next mcmillan estate seminar coming up on thursday may 9th uh, sherry mcmillan of course will be presenting once again and the venue once again will be the downtown vancouver marriott hotel at the shall we say usual time of 7 p.m at these things have a pattern and this is it. Thursday, May 9th, the next McMillan seminar at the downtown Vancouver Marriott Hotel with Sherry McMillan and things get underway at 7 p.m. We're back with lots more with Sherry after the news. Welcome back to the program. It's Vancouver Consumer on 980 CKNW. I'm Sterling Fox, joined on the line by Sherry McMillan, the CEO of McMillan Estate Planning. And you can find them online, by the way, friends, at Estate. Dot com. Macmillan Estate, all one word, dot com. And Sherry is returning to Vancouver soon for another one of those Macmillan Estate seminars. Once again, it will be at the downtown Vancouver Marriott Pinnacle Hotel. The start time is the usual 7 p.m., and I suspect there'll be the wine and cheesy stuff as well. The date is Thursday, May 9th. 7 o'clock, Thursday, May 9th, at the downtown Vancouver Marriott Pinnacle Hotel. Sherry Macmillan makes a present And then, of course, there is the question and answer session at the end of your presentation, Sherry, which is always fascinating, isn't it? It is. And I asked you earlier about some of the priorities Vancouverites have expressed to you in that question and answer segment following your formal presentation. And you said, among other things, Vancouverites really aren't that different from clients and other people I present to all over the world, Asia, Europe, whatever, uh, in terms of their priorities vis-a-vis their families and especially taxes and so let's start this segment off back where we kind of began in the first place sherry and 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 relate all of this estate and will planning and awkwardness with our own mortality to say nothing of our parents and and let's put it through the prism of taxation as well
0: certainly i think that lens is well required especially in canada today with our high tax tables oh, yeah. um we're you know we're really feeling the pinch in canada as we all know And the tax tables have become very great when we're talking about the estate of these calibers. Mm -hmm. So the wonderful thing I want to share with the population at large is there's a tax opportunity that most of us do not utilize because we aren't aware of it. And it's such a sad thing for me to observe this because so many families can mitigate such a a great portion of their estate tax if they just knew about these opportunities.
1: And again, this is another little gem you're about to, to drop on our laps here that the Canada Revenue Agency wouldn't in a thousand years because that's not what they do. So, Sherry, it's all yours.
0: Okay. So, when you have an estate, there's a handful of tax exemptions you can utilize, and some of them are obvious, things like your primary home. Um, Things like your tax-free savings account, Mm -hmm. uh, your life insurance, your um, uh, small business deduction, and your farm deduction. So all of these are commonplace, and we're aware of them. We all know about them. But what we also generally don't know is there is a section in the Income Tax Act called Maximum Tax Reserve, called MTAR. And in Canada, we're allowed to have up to... 25% 25% of our estate's net worth, so let's say I have a $10 million estate, $2.5 million of my estate is allowed to grow tax-free. Really? Yes.
1: It's it's kind of a, a ginormous TFSA setup then, not it? It's a
0: ginormous one. Now, the unique part about it is, obviously, it is a fantastic tool. We can help families deregister their registered programs by utilizing this offset. And so they don't actually end up paying tax on those RSPs and RIFs, which they normally assume they're going to have to. Right. And so when I work with really wealthy families, they say, well, I shouldn't bother anymore because I'm just going to end up paying high tax anyway. Well, maybe not. And so, you know, if we utilize this opportunity, we can certainly mitigate a ton of the tax. Now, the other great part about this is for business owners because business owners have trapped money in their company. So what happens is, obviously, if they're profitable and Trudeau is looking at them and says, how come you have all this extra money sitting in your company? As he did
1: last year at all those small business people
0: across the country, yes. Yes. Well, I want to tell you, since 1980, we've been planning around that as a state planner. So we had the solution prior to this uproar in the community. But what we do is we use the maximum tax reserve and we apply it to the company, and so let's say if you have a $10 million estate, we'll use the $2.5 million limit you're allowed, and we'll take the savings in your company and apply it to that. So now you're outside the exemption room again. So you don't have to leave the country in Canada to have tax exemptions. Mm. There's ways in which we can design it. So if we look at that same estate, you know, if we've been able to create a tax exemption in your company, your primary home is growing tax-free, and we can deregister your RRSPs and RIFs without paying a lot of tax, you can see all of a sudden you're in a very different financial position for your retirement. Mm -hmm. And so these are the types of things that families can do proactively. And this is not about dying. This is about your life, making sure that that wealth will preserve and protect you, you know, for the decades ahead you have. And as we go back to the discussion around children, when children understand that when you're planning an estate, it's not about the moment of dying. It's about how you're creating wealth so that they inherit wealth and then in turn they create wealth. Mm-hmm nobody doesn't want to come to that kind of meeting.
1: Absolutely. Now, Sherry, talking about the family business, and you've got a lot of experience in this regard, not only just here in Canada, either, as we've mentioned in the past, you have clients all over the world, quite literally. What do you do in a situation where mom and dad are determined to organize this uh, this trust and, and, and estate planning uh, and, and really get something going on to leave a legacy for generations that follow? And the whole thing is predicated on a successful Family business, that not necessarily all of the family members, the inheritors of all of this, are particularly keen on being part of. when the when the plan is explained to these perhaps reluctant family members, have you noticed many of them changing their thinking on it?
0: I, I certainly have. and I think it's really important when we have a situation where I call fair versus equal in estate planning. So, You know, in general practice, if you're a family that has uh, worked in a company and you have a lot of RSPs and stocks and bonds and one primary home, you just would normally split that customarily amongst your children. Mm. So that's called equal. The problem with family business and family farm is often there is only a couple of the children or one of the children practicing in the business. And the other children have gone off and done their own professional development. Right, sure. So how do you treat them equally and fair? And so there's always this kind of debate of what the outcome should be. So in our own office, uh, our policy is that we interview every child independently of their spouse and parent group. And we do that very deliberately so we can see where the conflicts are going to be. Because if we have the full picture of where everybody's point of view is or in perspective and by the way, if they're a real family, they're not the same, <laughs> very true. then we can find out what the needs are because it comes down to that. They have a particular expectation and a need. And if we can know what that really is, we can solve it while mom and dad are alive. And then that business can have a very smooth transition to the going concerned children and not be interrupted. So I think, you know, for family businesses, they've done studies on this, the wisdom from the family lead takes 15 years to wealth transfer in the minds of the next generation. And I will tell you that to transfer a family business properly and do an appropriate estate plan with a family traditionally will take us six months to a year because there's so many different meetings we need to hold, regroup, and think about how do we play Monopoly here with all these different points of view. At the end of the day, it's still mom and dad's decision, um, but there's all kinds of wonderful solutions. So, I give you a case study, Sterling, that I helped with years ago. Um, It was a lovely family. Their daughter was a lawyer and their son was a physician. So they had a very um, professional family, Mm -hmm. so to speak. And they were from Vancouver and they had developed a great real estate portfolio. And so their daughter, who was a lawyer, wanted to join the business and she did. And she was working in there for about five or ten years when I met them and her brother had no interest. He was very socialist and he didn't want anything to do with the family business. Okay. He, you know, he he was he living his own purpose, which is great. So as I got exploring it with the family, mom and dad wanted to fully retire and didn't want anything to do with the business anymore, but wanted to treat the children equally because they had created the business and the daughter was fairly new in the business. Mm-hmm. So what we did is we did an evaluation of the business and in this case the business evaluation came in around forty million. Oh. Now we did an after tax calculation of if the children each invest or received forty million, how much would they actually receive after taxation? And so let's say it was fifteen million each. Well then what we did is we did an offering to the son and said, we're gonna buy you out of the business at fifteen million in mom and dad's estate and the daughter will take on all the corporate responsibility and all the risk of the business going right. forward so here she has a business worth 40 million sure and she owes the estate tax on it but if this particular portfolio crashes and burns she's out money where her brother gets fifteen million. Right. So we debated, does this make sense for each family? And the brother who was socialist said, Oh, I just need ten million, that's plenty.
1: Oh
0: <laughs> <laughs> and volunteered.
1: What what a favor to do the family.
0: Yeah. So you know what we ended up doing is for the brother we gave him the first ten million and we built for his children a grandchild trust with the extra five. So you can see it's just a matter of sitting down and taking the appropriate amount of time and understanding the summary of facts and the soft issues that are going on in the family. I'm proud to say this lovely lawyer um, has now with the market crashes in real estate in the United States and the recovery, her portfolio has gone from 40 million to over a hundred million. Oh, good for her. So she took the right gamble, it appears. And her brother, you know, is fine with that because he took none of the risk. It was all on her. And so, you know, ultimately, I share this case study with you because had we waited until mom and dad passed, I don't know we would have got to this positive result.
1: Right. And And, you've mentioned in the past, too, that a will, from your perspective, a will is not about death. Quite the opposite, actually.
0: That's right. So when you're designing your estate, you should actually be thinking about all the decades ahead and the decades in your children's lives and planning that way. Because we just have an interruption at some point where you own your estate, then for a few days you don't because you've passed and then now your children do again. Mm -hmm. So instead of focusing on those few days where you're gone and before your children inherit, which is what most people think of when they think of estate planning, we're missing decades and decades and decades of wealth creation and preservation. So I turn it upside down and I only focus on those few days you know, very little. And ultimately... Um, in Vancouver specifically and in BC, we use a lot of trust planning to avoid the legal term probate. Oh, okay. So in, in BC, um, when you die, you have two systems to get through. You have the tax system to get through before your wealth can transfer to your children, and you have the legal system that your estate has to transfer through to get to your children.
1: And that legal system is called probate, right? And
0: the legal system is called probate. Right, so, the challenge is when you're looking at an estate, there's a lot of transfer fees in the in BC, let's say 1.4% currently as we speak.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: So, for every million dollars, it's not a small number. That's a high fee. Sure. So, if you think about mom and dad, and we lose one and we have to transfer, well, that's a big fee. And then we lose mom, now we transfer again. That's another big fee. So, you can see how it just starts amplifying very quickly. Well, we have this fantastic tool that came out 10 years ago and we use it in BC all of the time. It is called a joint spousal trust and we're allowed to dump our entire asset base, everything we own into this holding pot during our lifetime. And lo and behold, it replaces the will because you're the beneficiary of it and then in turn your children become the beneficiary when you're gone and we eliminate entirely probate.
1: Oh, and this is all perfectly legal. I got and We've only got a couple of minutes left. And, and this is something I don't know if I've asked you point blank before, but there's so much of this is such a mystery to so many of us. There is a suspicion, an abiding suspicion, that somehow or another it's not quite right. It's not quite legal. And is that just found out of ignorance, Sherry? We just don't completely understand this one little bit.
0: Well, you know, there is a saying. Um, Sterling, that the rich don't pay tax. Mm -hmm. (laughs) The reason they don't is they plan. And, you know, all of us have those same opportunities, but if we don't realize it, uh, we miss these windows of privilege. So, you know, every million dollars matters in how we design it. And these legislations are vanilla. They're nothing unique to any province or country. We've had these tools always. It's just if we don't understand them, uh, we don't employ them. And so... You know, if you only think you can buy a car, you're going to buy a car until you realize you could buy a truck. (sighs) So, you know, at that point, you might decide a truck suits your family better. And so I use that analogy. Most people think the only choice they have is a will, but they have so much more than that.
1: All right. An opportunity to find out what those other possibilities, and I put that in as a plural, there are multiple possibilities beyond just having a will. You can find out for yourself on Thursday, May 9th, as Sherry returns to Vancouver for another McMillan Estate Seminar. The venue is the same. It's the Downtown Vancouver Marriott Pinnacle Hotel at 7 o'clock on Thursday, May 9th. Sherry will make a presentation, and then you'll have ample opportunity afterwards for questions and answers. So that again, Thursday, May 9th, 7 o'clock at the Downtown Vancouver Marriott Hotel. Sherry, I know you've had tremendous success and good attendance in the past. I wish you nothing but more of same next time around. And thank you for doing this. And we hope to have the pleasure of you back on our program again soon.
0: Thank you so much, Sterling. Have a wonderful day.
1: You too. We're back after this. And once again, our thanks to Sherry McMillan for another helpful visit. Next hour, John Carlson returns with a fresh Vancouver Market real estate update. Time now for Duly Noted. And this time around, our producer, Ben Dooley, wants to know, are Class 4 licenses actually
2: safer? Thanks, Sterling. Ride sharing is still months away from becoming reality in B.C., but when the provincial government gets around to opening the door to companies like Uber and Lyft, part of the requirement for operation will be drivers with a higher level of training. Transportation Minister Claire Trevena has maintained that safety on the roads is the B.C. government's top priority and says drivers will need to obtain a Class 4 license to pick up passengers.
1: You need to make sure that you have the safest possible
2: license, and for us at the moment, that's a Class 4. Data released by ICBC suggests Class 4 drivers aren't necessarily safer than the general public. According to ICBC, there are roughly 50,000 Class 4 license holders in BC, compared to 2.8 million Class 5 drivers. Collision data compiled by the Crown Corporation shows that from 2012 to 2016, Class 4 drivers caused about one fewer collision per hundred drivers than Class 5 drivers over the same period. ICBC stats come with a number of caveats. The data doesn't account for time behind the wheel or kilometers driven, but the raw data has ride-sharing proponents left scratching their heads. Advocates in BC want to work with the ministry to make ride-sharing safer, but without adding another layer of bureaucracy. I'm Ben Dooley, and that's Dooley Noted. Thanks, Ben. Time for a couple
1: more consumer quickies before the news. Our friends Dave and Terry over there at Innovative Sleep Solutions will get a kick out of this story. We Canadians are getting a bit desperate in our search for a good night's sleep, to the point where we're helping to finance an entire new industry, the sleep alternative business. Products ranging from weighted blankets to smartphone apps to white noise machines and many others will boost some smart entrepreneurs' profits into the billions this year. Our sleep experts show up to remind us of the value of the right bed in enjoying a great sleep, but for many consumers, that's just not enough. Thus, the new products, some endorsed by big-name celebrities, which are really catching on. The medical community says the best way to improve your quality of sleep is to exercise regularly, remove screens from your bedroom, and follow a consistent bedtime routine. But they also know people have an often hard, hard time building good habits. It's easier to buy a mattress or some gadget, say the docs. There's money to be made, and companies are aware of that. They want to sell products. We'll have to get Dave and Terry back on the show again soon and find out what they think about all of this. Another quick reminder here about the Vancouver Sun Run coming up tomorrow. It's a biggie. Of course, it's one of the biggest runs in the country. It's a lot of fun. The weather forecast is okay, and TransLink is on side, so they say, with extra service being provided on both the Expo and Canada lines along with the West Coast Express. Yes, the, the train leaves mission at 7 o'clock tomorrow morning. It's once a year, the Sunrun West Coast Express and sea buses start from the North Shore at around 7 o'clock. TransLink says if you're taking the bus in and around downtown, expect rerouting and delays. And of course, if you're driving downtown, <laughs> you get what you deserve when you're driving into the Vancouver Sunrun. Park it, take a train and have a good run. For Ben Dooley and Andrew Ferreira. I'm Sterling Fox. We're back after the news with lots more Vancouver consumer right here on CKNW.
0: The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.